DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. I'm gonna fly higher. I'm gonna fly higher. Hello, and welcome to the Donald Thompson Podcast. Today's guest is my friend Keith Langbo, CEO of Kelica, a talent acquisition and advisory firm located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Brought him on to have a conversation about recruiting and finding the right talent, especially in today's work from home environment. From my experiences as a business leader, every business is four to five employees away from taking the next step, from growing to a multi-million dollar organization, from overcoming competitors and growing market share. But they have to be the right employees. So today, Keith gives us some amazing nuggets on finding those employees and creating an environment that they want to stay long-term. But we'll get to that. To begin the conversation, I asked Keith how Kelica got started. And what's remarkable is that when he and his family moved to Raleigh from Michigan, they knew absolutely no one. But I wanted the experience of truly starting something from scratch. I had had the good fortune of opening about 10 or so offices with my last company. But I was never the guy on the ground. I was always the one that would fly in for key meetings or fly in to meet the team or things like that, and then fly out and spend my day or two in the office there. But I wanted the opportunity to see if I can actually do it from ground zero. So one of the many criteria and why we chose Raleigh was because I did not know a single person here. In fact, the, the first group of people I met when I moved to the area, you were a part of, because we went out to have a, a YPO, Young Presidents Organization, dinner. That was my first attempt to try to get out and meet some people. So I, through YPO, through LinkedIn, through alumni connections, whatever connections I could find over LinkedIn, I went out and just started to test the market, engage the market, and figure out where were the gaps, where were the opportunities, what were my beliefs in terms of what I thought I wanted to do, and how did they align with this market in this region. And I had set this goal of doing 600 coffees in my first six months, 25 a week. And by the way, I ended up at 721, uh, not all coffees and certainly not all caffeinated, thankfully. <laughs> I learned quickly I had to go to decaf or tea or something different, otherwise I never slept. 
So every time I met somebody, I would, I would charge to try to turn that into two or three other meetings, just to network and get to know the area. Because at the end of the day, the triangle, while a big city, it's about a three contact market. You know, within three degrees of separation, I think you can start to circle around pretty quickly. And so my 721 coffees, as it ended up, uh, were really my opportunity to start from ground zero. So we moved down and decided for some silly reason to build a house. I thought that's what was right for the family. But of course, houses never get built on time. So we ended up bouncing from hotel to hotel, trying to use up points, trying not to spend a lot of money. And so my kids are starting a new school. My, we're sharing these smaller hotel rooms. And so I would go down literally to hotel lobbies and lounges uh, in order to start Calico. And that's where I would sit on my laptop and LinkedIn and try to network and uh, even hired my first internal employee while I was still living at a Fairfield Inn over in Briar Creek. That's awesome. So her, uh, her first week of training we did in the Fairfield Inn uh, lobby, which was kind of nice because they had free breakfast. So we could sit there and have breakfast together <laughs> and, uh, and do our training because we literally didn't, uh, no office, nothing. And thankfully the house eventually finished and I got the family settled when we went and got office space and did all that stuff. And so I, I feel so fortunate that we chose the right market to get started and that it was a transient market where they were open to someone coming from the outside, trying to start something new, trying to do something different. I guess I got to give gratitude to those 721 people. Yeah, I think I was talking to a friend of mine, Joe Calpe, that ran Bronto to great success and now doing some things. And we were talking about building a business and building his startup in Raleigh, North Carolina. And he said some of those similar things, right? A great place to raise a family, but also a great place to launch a venture. As a triangle, the one thing that we can do better is to tell those stories more impactfully yeah. and highlight those stories of that Southern hospitality, but that's still that drive to create great careers, great companies, great places to work. And so I appreciate you saying that because as we all grow our local economy, that's more yeah. opportunity for all of us. So I agree. Like we're, we're all in there swinging together. And I think that's a nice fabric. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about is when you think about phrases like talent acquisition and every business has a term that we're trying to push away from. In my case, in marketing, people are last, well, Don, are, why are you different than any other agency, right? And in my case, right, I'll ask you, how are you different than traditional recruiters? What makes your talent acquisition advisory how do you look at the landscape differently? How do you treat your clients differently that makes you guys special and unique? Right. I'm a little biased. <laughs> so one of the gaps that I believe existed when we started this eight years ago, and I'll say it's evolved quite a bit over the eight years in terms of what makes us different. But I always felt like there was a gap between the kind of top echelon of the executive search firms or executive placement firms, the corn fairies of the world and so on that had this incredible vetting process. They had this incredible kind of white glove service with their, their customers and they were able to charge a premium rate for it and, and their process and where they kind of fit and filled the gaps in the market to this large group of staffing recruiting companies that, that sort of filled the bottom half of that space that had really been commoditized quite frankly over the years, right? Whether it was the incoming of of the job boards in the early 2000s, like Monster and Career Builder, or the incoming of, of LinkedIn in 2004, the industry became so commoditized over the years that it was constantly a horse race or a rat race about how fast could we hire kids out of college, teach them how to match keywords in a resume, the keywords in the job description, 
and then play the numbers game and throw as many resumes over the wall as we could. And that's what it was, right? That's what I built in my last company. We did quite well with that. But it had become this just pure rat race of hire the kids out of college and then pour a mean glass of Kool-Aid and get them to drink the Kool-Aid faster. Drive the metrics, be hyper-disciplined about those performance metrics. And if you do that, you're going to eventually learn enough here and you can play the volume play. But I found that this gap was missing between what those companies were doing, which was the higher volume, quick turn, staffing, recruiting sort of thing, and these executive search firms. And so the idea of Calico was, why can't we have relationships or partnerships with our clients like the corn fairies of the world? Why can't we get behind the curtains and be a strategic partner? And then at the same time, why can't we treat the candidates are our product, if you will, like people instead of a product. Why can't we build that same sort of rapport and relationship and respect and follow the simple golden rule or platinum rule, whatever you want to say. And so there was this opportunity to develop relationships and partnerships with the clients at the top end while treating candidates like people and filling this, I call it the top quadrant, if you will, or top quarter of the space. I want to be compared in terms of our service and our offerings and our consultative nature with our clients, with the corn fairies that will, but yet we find ourselves competing against a lot of these staffing recruiting companies. So our focus 100% has been around redefining the recruiting experience from the client standpoint, the hiring companies to the candidate standpoint, and then also in our internal culture. And so Anytime someone says, why are you successful? Or what differentiates you? The first thing you have to say is our people, our internal people, first and foremost, right? By design, we do not hire people from the recruiting industry. By design, we only hire people that don't have recruiting experience. So our people is a big part. Our process is an expert. In order to compete at that corn ferry or executive search level, we had to create a process that was more thorough than just resume matching or more thorough than just skill set matching. We had to look at culture of companies. We had to look at values of companies and how did that align with the candidate versus the client. We had to get strategic with our clients and talk to them about workforce planning and workforce assessments, understand what they have versus what they're going to need and those skill gap analysis and those so we could start to be a little bit more proactive in our recruiting versus reacting. And then lastly, to really make this a good town acquisition process, we can't just give the, the candidates a great experience during the talent acquisition part. I think a lot of companies fall short because we spend so much time trying to recruit and attract and, and bring in the best candidates, but then we bring them in for their first day and we have them fill out paperwork and, and we put them into these boring training sessions, right? And so we spend a lot of time with our clients trying to throw, quite frankly, throw a party on day one. So that as a new person comes in right out of the gates, they're engaged right out of the gates. They're seeing, wow, let alone that night when they go home and their, their family members or their spouse asks them about their day, they don't say, why? Well, I filled up paperwork and I learned where the bathroom was and I logged in my machine, whatever it is. They talk about the, the fun that they had, the excitement that they had. The fact they walked in and maybe they got some, you know, some swag or something on their desk, or a new shirt or something or whatever it may be. And that they had a big party, a big lunch, a big celebration. So we, we spend a lot of time with our clients on the onboarding function and trying to start that engagement off the right way. Because quite frankly, a lot of candidates, and I read at one point, I think 30% or so of candidates make up their mind in the first week, whether or not this is someplace I, I see myself long-term. We wow. spend so much time trying to recruit them, but then we shoot ourselves in the foot quite often in the first week. So. Oh man, that is a powerful statistic, right? It, 
from a leadership perspective, as I hear that, as I grow companies and on boards, mm-hmm. 30% of people make that long-term decision in the first week. First week. Yes. But we treat everybody the same in that first week, which is typically pretty poorly, right? Because the people that they need the most to show them their job are usually the busiest. That's right. And that means that unless you intentionally make that onboarding hypercritical, you're going to leave that new person to kind of fend for themselves for the first couple of weeks. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. How do you, so that's a habit. I just described a habit that we've got to work on at, at Walk West and many leaders that I've talked to. How do you change the leader's approach to onboarding? Something that I'm habitually not doing well. How do you get me to think about it differently? We talk about it all the time. We measure it all the time. We use NPS surveys or any sort of surveying method to say, how is that experience, right? It's all about the employee experience through the talent acquisition functions or through the recruiting stages. How's their experience? How do they feel about it? Through the onboarding experience, through their 30, 60, 90 day check-in points. Yep. It's got to be about that experience. Millennials take so much junk right now for, uh, you know, their job happiness or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it. But it's not just millennials, it's anybody. You know, everyone wants a good experience. Everyone wants to be part of something bigger. They want to be a, a part of a, a greater purpose and they want to enjoy going to work. And I, I think too often we don't take the time to really focus on that. We tend to focus on where the money's coming from, which is not always from our entry level, you know, hires or from our new hires. It's coming from the season ones. And yes, they need love too, but we've got to take care of those people out of the gates. I will use a specific example of your ability to do that. So one of our senior designers, Chris Bunn, works for Walk West. And I mentioned I had your name on a whiteboard in my office because we had talked briefly and I said, this is a relationship that I didn't maintain the way that I wanted to. We had met eight years ago, kind of lost touch, maybe saw each other on LinkedIn. We've been a little busy. We've been both being a little busy. But I said, you know what, I really want to strengthen this relationship in the next year. So I had it on my whiteboard and I had a circle around it. And Chris came into the office and he said, hey, how do you know Keith? And so I talked to him a little bit about how we had connected. And he said, well, let me tell you something, Don. I worked with Keith and they helped place me in, a, in an opportunity a few years ago. And they treated me like I was the most important customer every interaction that I had with them. And I'll never forget how they made me feel. And that was a, oh, a awesome. real-time testimonial from somebody that had no reason to say it. He just, he just me and him were talking mm-hmm. and just really exemplifies how when we treat people well, that power of recommendation, that good seed we put in the, in the ground, that's part of the reason that you guys have been successful and, and you're living what you're talking about. And I think that's, that's amazing. So that's a compliment. Thank you for that feedback. And thank you to Chris. I remember Chris starting at that time and he was, relatively new to the space i think on the user experience user design space yep. the ux stuff and, and he's and, uh, and yeah just just incredible now to hear that story so many years later this isn't rocket science we're all people no that's powerful now let's pivot a little bit and talk about you work with hundreds of customers thousands of potential prospects and different things so you have a really good pulse and perspective of the business environment that we're playing in and we're all dealing in really uncharted waters here in this pandemic and this recession and all these different things we're facing. What are some things you're seeing in the marketplace, both challenging and then silver lining if you, if you see any? In right. terms of how do, we, how do we chart a path forward as an economy? 
It's a tough question. And I'll be the first to say, I don't know. I think some great companies, some companies really handled this well on the talent acquisition side. In that initial hiring freeze, panic, fearful moments in March and April, a lot of companies said, hold off, we don't know what to do. I saw some great companies say, forget that, we're driving forward, we're gonna do video interviews, we're gonna do whatever we need to do to make these things happen, and we're gonna snatch great talent, we're gonna go and recruit and identify, recruit and attract some great talent in while we can. So we saw a lot of companies, especially in the technical side and IT space, do a lot of hiring during that time. Uh, while everyone else was fearful of not, and not knowing what to do and kind of sitting on their hands, we saw some great companies really pick up and hire, especially on the tech side. No, that's good. Yeah. Now we're seeing that come out across the board, and most companies are comfortable hiring tech talent. They're still remote, which is a much easier thing to do. So we're seeing literally since May has started, we've seen a tenfold increase of the number of job orders, the number of hires people are starting. We've had multiple people start this week. We have multiple people lined up to start next week. And so companies have certainly started to accept it. They're moving forward, they're finding their path. Even if they don't know their path, they've just said, we're gonna make it happen and we're gonna go. And we're gonna do whatever it takes and we'll figure it out as we go sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and quite frankly, there's only so much time that you can be for those of us that are dream chasers and pushing the envelope and growing companies that you can sit still and let things happen to you. And I think that more broadly, I think as a, as a country, people are getting that same kind of appetite and saying, what can we do with the cards that we're dealt? And that's really the entrepreneurial spirit in general, because sure. you don't always get to choose and determine the cards that you have. You got you to gotta win with the cards that you got. Right. One of the things as a, as a leader, I always like to ask successful people, what do you read? Who do you listen to? Where are some of the sources of information that teach you and motivate you as you stay on the, that learning journey that you're on? I read, I listen, nonstop. <laughs> I was thinking ahead for this a little bit and thinking what were some things that we really did with Calico that made a difference. And, and I always have to give props out to uh, Gina Wickman and his book, Traction. I'm a big fan of the entrepreneurial operating system or EOS method, a lifesaver for us. And, and uh, a good friend, Walt Brown, introduced us to that eight years ago when we moved here. So. Gino Wakeman, continue to read, um, I should say, Audible, listen to all of his books now. More recently, 2014-ish, we picked up uh, Mike Michalowicz's Profit First, which was a great book and another kind of business concept of rather than sales minus expenses equals profit, it's sales minus profit equals expenses. And let's learn how to, to manage it a little bit. And it's just been a, a life-changing of a thing as an entrepreneur that is constantly kicking the profit can down the road, right? Because let's reinvest, let's reinvest. But at some point, you, you've got to, uh, we have to have profit. It drives the business, right? So, but where I learned so much has been through my networking groups of fellow business leaders. Mm. Uh, you know, I think of, you and I had coffee and the things I pick up from the, from our conversations or I'm part of a, it's called a spark group, a small group of business owners that typically meets once a month. You know, now it's been Zoom calls, but uh, part of another North Carolina executive roundtable, which has been wonderful in terms of our, our speakers that we bring in and, and experts in their fields. But it's in talking to these other business owners, these other entrepreneurs or groups like YPO. That's where I gain everything. 
I think, and just listening to their ideas and taking little tidbits. I've got another group, which is uh, called TTAP or the Triangle Talent Executives Forum. And it's a group of 25 talent executives from all the companies in the area and, and, uh, and hearing their tidbits and their experiences and their, their best practices, their failures, their struggles, whatever it is. That's where I really find the most interesting, or at least I think it's interesting. Since the quarantine, I've added a new source. Uh, around lunchtime every day, I go out on a walk with my kids, my 14-year-old and my 13-year-old. I've always tried to engage them in the business, right? And talk to them about what's going on and, and our good and our bad and the other. And I think they get it. I, I'm not sure that they really want to hear it, but they, yeah, they sure. get it. Because you do that. But there's been something since I've been home now the last 10 weeks of going out and doing this walk and just talking about, here's this struggle or here's what's going on or, or hey, I've got an employee that... Uh, that's an extrovert and they're having a tough time being at home right now, right? And this is really getting to them. And to hear a 14-year-old or a 13-year-old, their out-of-the-box ideas and their their thoughts, it's my new source of wisdom. Not wisdom, it's my new source of, uh, of creative ideas. And the ideas, the things that they think of, it's just fascinating. So I'll tell a quick story about it. We had an employee that's an extrovert and struggling and having a tough time, right? Extroverts are hurting right now uh, and they can't get out. And we're not planning a return to work anytime soon because we don't need to. We can stay at home and be safe and help keep the curve flat or whatever it is. And my children suggested, well, why don't we go and drop some stuff off of the house and, and maybe we can stand outside and talk to them outside of the house. And you know what? We could do that once during the day or why don't we go there a couple of times and really surprise them. Just give them a while through the day. So earlier this week, we went and we dropped off breakfast at 7 a.m. and sat outside and had a quick conversation. And then we took lunch later in the day. And then at night, we took a couple of bottles of wine and sat outside and just engaged with them. And uh, you could just see this, this employee's morale that just kind of boost, you know, and, and take a jump up. And it was uh, it was my kids. It wasn't a business book. It wasn't a new concept. It was, it was just my kids saying, hey, go be human. What a great idea. And I'm taking notes as we talk. And I, we can implement, like, like some of the best concepts or things you can do are things where you hear a new insight that you can action on tomorrow. That's right. The, the key, right, that you just said it, I'll just repeat it, is just be human. Like, what would you want in that situation? You can't fix everyone's problem, but you can let people know that they're supported and that they're cared about. And that's something, quite frankly, over the last 10 years, I've become much more aware of personally as a leader. Mm-hmm. and work to improve, right? Like when you're in that first grind, you think it's all about the work and that every problem is more work. And that moves you forward, but it's so inefficient, right? Right, it's versus, short-lived. Yeah, yeah. It's, short, it's short-lived mm-hmm. versus as I've matured as a leader, I've certainly tried to adopt more of the characteristics that you're describing mm-hmm. and have figured out you can still have high standards and have a hell of a time at work and have fun. You can still have high standards and really create that caring environment. And it just takes a little while to really believe that you can do both in, in my yeah. case. <laughs> I, think, I think if you lead with you know, the servant leadership mentality, the empathy, the caring, the, that uh, we'll, we will often as leaders be surprised by the standards that people bring for themselves and, and what they're willing to do and able to do uh, if you just show a little heart, right? With my employees, with my kids, I don't need to put tougher expectations or, or tougher goals on them. I just need to show them that we're going to be here to support them every step of the way. And if they reach high, they can achieve great things. And then I'm going to get out of their way and continue to support, you know, 
And I think that the right people are going to drive themselves to even higher things than we could ever push or ask them to do. Yeah. If we give them that path and the tools and the support to do it. Love it. Let me give you some space, Keith. Like we've, I've asked yeah. a bunch of questions and I've enjoyed chatting with you and, and in a sincere way, have enjoyed reconnecting. Uh, with you and what and what you're doing. You as well. What would you what would you like to share with our folks like about your company, about how to connect with you, about a nonprofit that you care about? Let me give you some space just to talk about some uh, a thing or two that, that you care about, that you feel strongly about. Right. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, I care about stuff that's going to help our businesses get back to whatever that new normal is, right? Because if our businesses can get there, our people can get there, and, and we can start to uh, get closer someday, shaking hands again, I guess. Companies need to go through some sort of workforce assessment. You know, we had a client come the other day and say, hey, we have this, this wasn't the other day, this is now months ago, but they were talking about this wonderful receptionist they had on their team. And now that they're all being forced to work from home and, and not be in the office, they were thinking to themselves, oh, what are we going to do with this receptionist? And are we going to, you know, lay this person off or what are we going to do? And and our advice to the, the company was, well, let's go through and understand what skills she has, what interests she has in having to be a, a lady. And let's go through and try to figure out what she could bring to the table. And then let's look at the rest of the company and figure out where there's opportunity to either add value to a pro existing project or add value to someone else that's trying to grow in those skills or things like that. Let's look at the, the big picture and try to figure out where we can leverage these people in different ways. And so uh, I think it's a good opportunity for companies to kind of take stock in what they have and reprioritize, pivot, if you will, right? Um, you, again, you hear the stories of some of these companies that have pivoted during this time and, and doing incredible things, whether it be for our frontline workers or doing incredible things for their employees or for whatever it may be. Uh, I think companies have that opportunity now to take stock um, reassess or perhaps assess for the first time what they really have and, and how we can figure it all out so we can leverage people in, in better ways. Because uh, that receptionist, in this case, incredible employee, great culture alignment, great value alignment. You know, they needed that person on the team. We just need to figure out how to leverage them during this unique time and perhaps uh, going forward as well. Because again, how often are receptionists going to be the norm anymore? That's right. Oh, no. And so we need to, you know, we need to pivot and, and think new and adapt. That's something I think is important. We're doing a lot of work right now with companies and doing those workforce assessments to try to figure that out. Uh, a good friend has helped build some technology that allows us to, to kind of build an interactive org chart that's it's a pretty neat tech. And, nice. And, uh, and so that's been a, a good opportunity. I think that's a good opportunity for, for companies right now to look at. Yeah, I do want to talk about a, a nonprofit, if you will. Two nonprofits I'm a big, big fan of. Uh, one is called Neighbor to Neighbor. I don't know if you're familiar with Neighbor to Neighbor or not, but Neighbor to Neighbor is down on basically the south central side of Raleigh, and uh, they're tied to the community around them, literally there, helping the parents, the kids. Um, they've got an incredible uh, mentorship program where um, professionals can go in and be mentors to young elementary age kids and do their math homework with them or just hang out with them or read with them or play basketball with them, whatever it may be. And I think that Neighbor to Neighbor is an incredible organization. Uh, we've been fortunate that many, uh, just about everybody at Calico at some point has been involved as a mentor or as uh, some sort of um, opportunity to get engaged in Neighbor to Neighbor. Last one is a group called the Sidekick Foundation. I'm part of a a wonderful martial arts studio, although we've uh, obviously haven't been doing a whole lot of martial arts recently. 
uh, and they have their nonprofit group called the Sidekick Foundation. Every year, we do an event called the Mad Dash, kind of like it's the Amazing Race show, I think it's called on TV, kind of like the Amazing Race, where you run to something and then you have to work through a problem and, or do something as a team. And then you run to the next thing and you do another obstacle or problem. And they're completely silly obstacles and problems. I think, you know, and it's not really a, a big physical test. I think all in all, maybe, maybe you run three, four miles or something over the span of this race, but it's a quarter mile, do something silly. Another quarter mile, do something silly. But the great thing about this group is that every year uh, teams can raise money to be a part of Mad Dash. And the money goes to different causes, but uh, just a couple of years ago, we raised enough money to buy a new bus for the Wake County Boys and Girls Club. Uh, the year after that, we raised a bunch of money to support the mitochondrial disease uh, awareness group. And it's not huge money, but what I love about this is it's this, it's a lot of fun. It's the mad dash, right? And so you can bring a team, teams of I think up to four people, something like that. We can have multiple teams. Calgary had two teams last year. We're hoping to have three teams this coming year. And it's just a great opportunity to get out there as a team, do something fun, a little bit of outside activity, silly, but then raise money for just incredible organizations. And so I'm a big, big fan of Mad Dash. And if anyone ever wants to be involved with that, I would love to, uh, to talk to them about it. Well, that is phenomenal. That's our time for today. Keith, thank you very much. Thank for you. For spending time with us. Thank you all. I appreciate the opportunity. Stay safe, stay sane. You can't stop me. Nothing's gonna stand in my way. Nothing, nothing. I'm gonna fly higher. I'm gonna fly higher. That was Keith Langbo, founder and CEO of Kelica. If you're an employer looking for the right talent acquisition firm, or an employee looking for the next great opportunity, be sure to visit kelica.com. That's K-E-L-A-C-A dot com. This podcast is edited and produced by Earfluence. If you're looking for more information on how full-service podcast production can amplify your voice, build your community, visit earfluence.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon on the Donald Thompson Podcast.